want to welcome you to the Reformed Informants. This is a podcast devoted to biblical exposition, systematic theology, and practical application for the good of the church. I'm Lance Burroughs, along with TJ Darty, and we are the Reformed Informants. We've got a new dad across the table here. So, yeah, so that's that's me, and you're you're soon to follow, Lord willing. Yeah, today is September the 9th. Yeah. When so, was Blakely born? What's her? Uh, August twenty seventh. Okay. So, been about two weeks. By the time this thing actually airs, this episode, Lord willing, probably won't come out to what November. Yeah, spring you know? break. Yeah, we've, <laughs> we've been we've been working way ahead, but it's been several weeks. It's been like three weeks since we've been in the studio. Um, at least, but for legitimate reasons, yeah, yeah. we can now call you Father Doherty. <laughs> Father Doherty, bring it in, bring it, bring it. Yeah, man. if you had a different outfit on, that's we could, I, you know, almost. Fa- I thought about that earlier. I thought you can start calling me Father now. Uh, <laughs> oh my goodness! I'm gonna have to make sure I keep control of myself here, thinking about Father yeah. Doherty. <laughs> yeah, keep it under control. Because we got As the episode we got, goes. We got we got an important episode to jump into here. So what uh, what are, what are we doing today for this one, and why are we doing it? Well, in the past, we've done a few episodes on uh, exegesis or biblical exposition. Um, I think the first one we did was in the Book of Acts, right? Yeah, Is that Acts, Acts Acts seventeen. Acts seventeen. We did one on Philippians chapter four. Um, Luke fifteen. Luke fifteen. We've done some through Genesis. We went through Genesis yeah. 1 and 2. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're going to do another one of those episodes. We want to, I think on the podcast, we want to show that we don't want to only be systematicians or we don't only want to look at uh, biblical theology or read the Bible in order, although those are both great yep. and necessary. But we also want to take passages of Scripture and explain them. Well, and, and part of the root behind systematic theology is doing good biblical exegesis. And so what we want to do is we want to take passages that are either related to the material that we're studying in systematic, which is what we did with Acts 17, right? We looked at general revelation and Paul's um, work there um, in his speech in Athens. And so we, we walked through that in order to demonstrate a systematic point. Um, but in this case, what we're trying to show is that by walking through, uh, I think we've got, what, five verses that we're going to go through today. We're just showing this is how exegesis is done. This is what biblical hermeneutics, uh, sound hermeneutics, looks like. Um, this is what it looks like, and that will inform and allow us to formulate uh, good systematic. And so that's kind of what we're demonstrating is all of the legwork behind the systematic conclusions that we have in other passages. We just don't have time to do that with every single verse that we go through yeah. um, on the podcast, and that would be um, abusive in a lot of ways to do that. So we don't have the, the time. But what we're doing is just trying to demonstrate that, and uh, and I think I can speak for both of us, say these are fun episodes. They're fun to, to record, and we've we've gotten a lot of positive feedback um, from doing these this way. Yeah, these I think these episodes actually turn out to be our longest episodes. Yeah, so, because we get excited and you can't, I mean, how do you wrap up all the things that are, you know, there's so much that can be said. So we'll try so, to be concise. Yeah, so we'll much, to, so much to be said. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Mark chapter 12. Um, and we're going to work through just a handful of verses. The, the passage that we picked, we kind of carved out to talk about, 
some of it will be recognizable. Okay, and I think at least before we get started here, the recognizable portion of this passage isn't actually the main point of the passage. So a little preview with where we are going. When TJ reads uh, this text here in just a minute, you're going to recognize, you may recognize the whole passage, but you'll definitely recognize one portion of it. And a majority of the time, people take that verse to be the main point, the main application, Mm -hmm. etc. But uh, we're going to argue, and I think we'll show, that that isn't primarily the meaning; it's a secondary meaning, yeah. and there's purposes behind that particular text. Um, yeah, and I think I think that's a good segue to kind of introduce this passage and to say part of the reason why we chosen this. It's not random. First of all, you taught on this, so you had a little bit more of the legwork that you've done um, in preparation for that. And I think we're both going to be um, blessed and hopefully our listeners will be as well from the work that you've done there. Um, but also we have attempted to look at passages that are oftentimes either misapplied or misunderstood like Philippians 4.13, um, mm. you know, like the parable of the prodigal son to say, sometimes the assumptions that we go in with because we went to Sunday school when we were 10 years old and we heard a very basic and simplistic overview of a passage and didn't really ask the right questions. Now we're blinded to the, to the true meaning. And I think that happens in this case as well. Yeah. And so that's really kind of what's driving this, um, kind of the motivation for choosing this passage. It wasn't random. We didn't just open our Bibles and pick a random spot. That's how, we, that's how we do personal Bible study time. <laughs> well, but. Uh, that's another episode that we've discussed that. But, uh, but of course, like I said, you taught on this, but we chose this particular one because it's oftentimes misunderstood. Um, so let me give a 30-second flyby introduction to the book of Mark, and then let's give some, some context and let's just read and walk through the passage. Yeah. Does that sound that's like good. a fair approach? Yep. Okay, we're in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, a couple of key points to think about. Number one, uh, this is a gospel, um, which means that Mark is not writing a pure biography. Mark is has a goal in mind, right? Mark is trying to point to the gospel. He is trying to point to the, the perfect life, the death, the substitutionary death, um, the resurrection, and ultimately the ascension. He is trying to, to point us to that good news, to demonstrate that Christ, uh, that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. He is the um, the Savior. He is the promised one. And so when Mark tells his story, he's going to do that in kind of a twofold way. The first half of the book of Mark looks at his life, Jesus' life and ministry in Galilee. And then mm. the second half is the journey to the cross in Jerusalem. So we're actually in the second half of the book in Mark chapter 12, and Jesus is going to the cross. So everything that Mark writes, it's not necessarily a chronological biographical entry um, in su- successive order. Rather, this is pointing us to the cross. That's where we're going. Um, which is going to be important for how we understand this. Yeah, you, you can see that kind of flow throughout the other Gospels as well, is that there, there's a general flow from the beginning of Jesus' life to the cross throughout the Gospels. And the authors of the Gospels work that a little bit differently, right? But ultimately, like you said, we're, we're getting to the cross. That's what we're building up. Um, and then that's what that's what Mark is doing here. Yeah, I mean, that's this is um, he, he starts his book by saying the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He is telling the story to, to demonstrate that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. He's the Christ. And a second important detail, uh, just to mention very briefly, is that Mark's primary audience mm. 
are Romans, yep. right? Like that's that's going to be <laughs> really critical. Uh, Roz is excited about that. Uh, that's going to be really critical for this particular passage as we start to understand some of the main characters. But his main audience are Roman uh, citizens, and so uh, there's so much evidence inside the Book of Mark. Uh, we don't need to walk through those now, but essentially, Mark has in mind an appeal to a Roman population to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Yep. So that's that's kind of. A brief flyby, of course, I'd, there's much more that can be said, um, but we want to get to our passage. So contextualize. Yeah, that was all 30 seconds. <laughs> I mean, I did the best I could, right? That was close. Um, you know, rounding to the nearest 30 seconds, I don't know, maybe I made it. But uh, contextualize for us, set us up into, we're going to be in verses 13 to 17, but where are we kind of... Yep. In this, we know we're in the second half of the book. Tell me, tell me something else. Yeah, so we've got the broad context from TJ, the second half of the the Gospel of Mark. Uh, when you get to chapter eleven, chapter eleven actually begins the final week of Jesus's life. So we have chapters eleven through sixteen, all of that devoted to one week. Mm. Okay, so chapter eleven, you've got the triumphal entry, you've got Jesus cursing the fig tree, cleansing the temple. Um, I guess depending on who you talk to, that triumphal entry either happened on Sunday or Monday. Right. A little debate on that. Um, but then as the days go along, as the week continues to progress, we pick up where we are in Mark chapter 12, and we are probably on Tuesday or Wednesday of the final week of Jesus' life. Um, I mean, this is the pinnacle of the hatred and violence that Jesus is facing. You've got crowds of people that are pouring in uh, to Jerusalem because it's Passover week. I mean, this is the week, right? Right. I mean, you've got probably upwards of close to a million people that have made their way into Jerusalem. Like, this this is big time, right? right? So it's not some random week. It's not some... Um, yeah, Jesus isn't just sit, floating around out in the wilderness, you know, with a couple of people sitting around him talk, telling stories. Like, yeah. this is, we, are, we have reached the pinnacle. This is where Mark has been trying to get yeah. us. Right? Yeah, the like, Gospel of John says the hour has come. And, mm-hmm. I mean, this is clearly all orchestrated by God, but he has to be in Jerusalem on this week because Passover is mm-hmm. Friday. In order for him to be the Passover lamb, the sacrificial lamb, uh, he, he has to be in Jerusalem don't, don't to die. Get, don't get ahead of yourself. Yeah. You're starting to preach a little bit. I know. We're, we haven't yeah, even gotten into the text. Man, I didn't build a pulpit. <laughs> I didn't build the raise-up pulpit yeah, in we, between this three-week absence. Yeah, I was, I was, I was, I've been looking for it because you're starting to get excited. But, okay, keep going. Sorry. Yeah, so it, we're, yeah, it's Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, Jesus is probably back in the temple after he just cleansed it and cleaned it out. Um, so everybody's still probably a little shook from the previous day, previous day's event. And that's where we get to this passage. Um, TJ's going to read it for us, yep. and then we'll, we'll try and unfold this in the next two hours here. <laughs> fairly, fairly short, um, but doesn't mean that there's not a lot of pa- uh, punch that can be packed in. So let's read. Uh, I'm going to read uh, from the ESV, Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 13. It says this, And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. 
And they brought one, and he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar's the, thing that, the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God. And they marveled at him. Yeah. Simple. Yeah. Familiar. Straightforward. But there's a lot there. Yeah. So let's go. Yeah, let's, un- let's, let's unpack a little bit. Let's go bit. verse by verse, line by line through this, the way that uh, we need to in order to exposit or to expose <clears throat> the meaning behind it. So you you take us through. Yeah, okay. So in the beginning of verse 13, it says that they, they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians. So the they in context here, and if you go back in chapter 11, specifically verse 18 and 27, you'll see that we're talking about the chief priests and the scribes. Um, they sent the Pharisees and the Herodians to Jesus in the temple. So they're going to have somebody else try and do the dirty work here. Yeah. Um, um, one thing I, I read in, in preparation for this was that um, the they likely being like the Sanhedrin, or, yeah, you know, the yep. political leaders, yep. uh, religious leaders, but the, the that word that they sent carries with it the same idea of a messenger or an apostle mm. is that same idea mm. and that they carry the authority and the me- so so these are representatives of the sanhedrin or the scribes and the sadducees so i just thought that that was very yeah. interesting they are sending representatives and it's this there's a a spiritual and religious clout that's going into confront jesus this is a this is a big deal yeah so we, we've got multiple parties invested here multiple parties that are guilty of um, trying to come against Jesus here. Yeah. So uh, the two groups of people that we see here, we can call them an unusual partnership, are the Pharisees and the Herodians. The Pharisees and the Herodians. Now, you're, you're probably familiar with the Pharisees. They show up in the Gospels. It's almost like they're in every single chapter. Right. And in one way or another, the Pharisees are lurking and looming around. Uh, the religious elite, like you said, some of them are part of the Sanhedrin, the religious uh, Supreme Court. Um, people looked at them as um, basically the caretakers and the overseers of religion, yeah, which was that, just so bizarre. I think that's such a great word for it, that they were the overseers. They were the ones who set the religious direction for uh, the people of Israel. Yeah. They were the ones that determined how you were to understand or how you were to think about God's law, or how you were to live, they they set the standard, and you followed them. Yeah. They, so, they, they, they controlled the people in that way. So if you look up religion in the first century, Pharisees are right next to that mm-hmm. word. Pharisees are defining religion, And highly, highly respected yeah. among their people— and um, highly self-respected among their own, oh, right? Yeah. Like they, they love themselves. They thought they thought, and and it's easy to be critical. And of course, Jesus is critical, so we have to be critical. But the Pharisees had the intention of trying to keep God's law. Now they misunderstood. They completely distorted. They were lost. All of those things are true. But the idea was they were self-important because they were trying to elevate God's word. Um, now they missed it. I'm not trying to defend them. I'm just saying it's easy for us to miss what they were attempting to do yeah. in this case. They were they were scared of Jesus because they thought that Jesus was contradicting the scriptures. They didn't see the truth yeah. of who he was. Yeah. So anyway, keep no, going. That's, yeah, that's good. Uh, so we've got the Pharisees lined up here. We also have the Herodians. We've got the Herodians um, that are on the scene as well. Now this is the second time, by the way, that these two groups have linked up. If you go back to Mark chapter 3, 
after Jesus heals a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath, boom, you've got the Pharisees and Herodians here kind of stirring the pot. So in Mark's gospel, they've actually kind of been lurking around and working together behind the scenes since all the way back in chapter 3. But why why is that noteworthy? Like, why would we, like, basically I'm asking, why would that catch our attention? Because you wouldn't expect them to actually be together. Well, you've got a classic example of hypocrites here. Okay. You've got, these two groups hate each other, by okay, the way. Okay, that's what I wanted you yeah. to say, yeah. They can't stand each other. Why not? Why, well, because what's the what's the difference between them? Yeah, Pharisees are all about religion. Herodians are all about politics, right? Um, you, you've got polar opposites. Yeah, you've got the religious group, the Pharisees. That's all they care about, right? Even though they're caring uh, inappropriately or wrongly, right? Right. And then you've got the the Herodians that are only concerned about politics. They're only concerned about the Herodian dynasty. They only want to deal with governmental issues. But, man, they are hard-pressed to come together and unite over taking down Jesus. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting when you think about this because the Pharisees hated hated the Roman oppression. Ugh. They hated the political oppression. Like that this is we are God's people. We should not be subject to anyone. This theocracy of God is their king. Like this that's how they perceived the nation of Israel. Yeah. So so Rome was sinning just by their oppression and, and captivity over uh, the nation of Israel. And likewise, the Herodians hated the uh, Pharisees because they were subject to no one. We're saying, hey, you're just any, you're just like anybody else. We are we we trust in Rome. We trust in Herod. We trust in the political power. And they had polar opposite worldviews. Like you said, they couldn't have been further away mm. from one another. Um, but the enemy of my enemy is my friend, and they have one commonality, and that is they want to go after Jesus. They 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 hate him more than they hate oh, one another. So they're linking up. They're linking right? up only They're adding each other on social media, <laughs> right. following people. Only because <laughs> only because they see a potential benefit, a mutual benefactor for one another to say, "All right, if we just can get over being together for this one time, we can uproot and yeah. drive this this man out." Because yep. neither one of them like Jesus. Yeah, yeah. So yes, unlikely partnership. They come together. Yeah, they come together, verse 13, and they're trying to trap Jesus in a statement. The Greek word there for trap, it's only used one, one time in the New Testament. Yeah. One time in the New Testament, and it deals with catching an animal. Yeah. Catching an animal. It, it's the, the idea is, is uh, there's, a, there's a strong intent, like a hunter. Yeah. Like I, we're going after him and we're going to lure him um, like this wild animal into a trap. I mean, mm. that's, that's the idea. It's very, um, it's not accidental. It's not like, hey, we're just going to lay this out here. And if he stumbles into <laughs> it, great. Like we're, we're going after him. There's a hunting, there's a, a pursuit, um, an intentionality and a, um, a detrimental negative. There's a negative connotation attached to this. I'm going after this this man. That's yeah. what they're doing. Yeah, this is planned. You know, mm-hmm. they didn't just come up with this question on the way into the temple. Um, because once we get to the question, you'll see how carefully planned and devised <laughs> it was because they right. thought that they had him right. with this question. Um, Luke chapter 20 verse 20 says that the uh, the the religious leaders they sent spies who pretended to be righteous in order that they might catch him. So, I mean, they're sending people deceitfully, right? They're, they're people, they're pretending 
uh, to be righteous in order to trip up Jesus. I mean, the the hypocrisy here is it's, yeah. it's just shocking. And it's, it's only going to increase, right, the hypocrisy. Oh, yeah. Verse, verse 14. <laughs> L- listen to this. I, they came and they said to him, so, so you now have these two wicked groups um, who have mutual disinterest and, and dis, uh, dislike for, for Jesus. And they've united together and they've been sent as messengers on behalf of the Sanhedrin and the Sadducees and the scribes and all the religious leaders uh, of the day. And they all come together and they ask this mm. and they say, but before they ask their question, they, they toss some flattery at him. Like I mean, you can just butter them up. Yeah, man. Like I can just feel my skin crawling as they're saying this stuff. Like, teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. What What is beautiful? That's beautiful language. (laughs) There is what they said wrong. And what they said. Is absolutely true. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's irony in this. There's uh, hypocrisy in this. Yeah. They did not say that because they believed it. They said that because they thought Jesus wanted to hear it. Right. So that was a, that was their way of you said it. You said it well. They were buttering him up. The, they're, yeah. They're they're trying to butter him up, loosen him up because if they flatter him enough, then he's going to let his guard down. Right. And possibly answer the question they the way that they want him to answer it. Basically, they're not, when you're hunting, you don't come running out of the bushes screaming and flailing <laughs> your arms, right? Like, hey, I'm here to I'm here to trap you. Yeah. Like they are coming in and they're going to ask this question, but they're going to ask it with a, um, a guise or a mask of sincerity. They're not going to come at him with this sarcastic, like, ha, we've caught you in a trap. Like they're coming at him pretending to be genuine. Yeah. And the way that they do that is they ask this, they, they use this flattery statement beforehand. Teacher, we, we know that you're right. We know that you're concerned about teaching God's law. You, we know that you're concerned about teaching the truth. You're, you're not swayed by appearances. Um, you, you don't care about other men's opinion. We know that you, you know the truth. So with that in mind, because we trust you and we respect you, oh, great teacher, answer this one question. We just can't figure it out. Right. That's what they're doing. Yeah. It, it's, it's, uh, it's very deceitful. It's very backwards. Even though it's true, it's spoken with a heart that is intended for wickedness. Right. I mean, they are, they are spot on with what they say. Yeah. Here. I mean, yeah. Um, You're darn right he teaches the truth. Yeah. You're darn right he doesn't care what people think about him. He's... He's more concerned about teaching the truth. Absolutely. Um, yeah, Jude, Jude 16 says that false teachers and false prophets will use flattering words to gain advantage, right? I mean, this is a classic example of that right here. And in fact, one commentator, uh, I think he's a Lutheran commentator, Linsky, he says that uh, the Pharisees and the Herodians here basically shelling out honeyed words of flattery, mm, mm. right? I mean, they're trying to lure Jesus um, by making him, I don't know, puff up a little bit. Like, right. whoa, look at what all these guys are saying about me. Right. Like, you know. Um, yeah, it's 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 very ironic that they're coming in and they're saying this. And um, I think you even had made the comment um, that it's ironic that such fallen and depraved human hearts are expressing such perfect divine truth. Like there's yeah, there's man, truth yeah. in that, right? Be, yeah, and when I was studying for this passage, um, 
last week, it made me think of when Pilate takes the placard and writes on it. You know, he he writes Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews, and he's putting that up there for mockery and comedy. You know, he's not putting that up there, right. you know, to be nice. Right. Um, but in reality, what he's writing is the exact truth. Yeah. You know, so uh, we, we see that a handful of times in the Gospels, right? Doesn't Caiaphas prophesy inadvertently, right, about one man dying for the people? Right, right. And, and that's what you see. You see the goodness of God. And, and, of course, Mark is writing this in order for us to see who Jesus is. So Mark writes those, those words down to capture their flattery in order that we might say, hey, that, that really is who he right. is. You know? and, and, and they don't really understand it. They're, they're merely trying to manipulate. But what God does is he takes the manipulating heart and he molds it. Um, to say it's like it's like um, Balaam in, in Numbers, yes, right? Like, yeah, hey, yeah. I want, I'm going to curse Israel, and every time he opens his mouth, here comes a blessing, and that's what's happening here. We we see um, yep. these men coming to try to manipulate Jesus, and really, what they are actually doing is they're extolling praise um, inadvertently, um, certainly not intentionally, but that's what's happening. So there's irony in that that little statement, that little yeah. passage there. Yeah. So okay, they butter him up. Now, them up and what hear. question do they ask? Yeah. So and, here, and what do they? Why do they ask? Yeah, this is what they're getting at. Verse fourteen: Is it lawful to pay a poll tax to Caesar or not? Shall we pay? Verse fifteen: Or shall we not pay? Let me make one comment before you. Go, yeah, no, no, go walk for through it. this. Yeah. Your translation was at the New King James. No, actually, yeah, I'm reading from the NAS okay. right here. Yeah, the NAS uses poll tax. Not all translations do. But I think it's important that's what is going on here. It is indeed a poll tax. Can you explain what that is and why that was such a big deal or such an offense? Yeah, the poll tax was placed on the head, essentially, um, of every male in uh, under Roman rule at that point. Uh, the poll tax to uh, basically conduct... Uh, I don't know, some some sort of an informal census yep. um, to keep tabs on, you know, uh, the, the amount of people. That's right. Um, and the implication of that, the reason why this was such a buzz issue for the Pharisees, the implication being that Rome owns yeah. them, right? Yeah. Like the census or this tax was essentially saying, I am paying my dues to the one who owes me. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. So so the Pharisees, <laughs> the Pharisees absolutely hated it and in fact actually taught that you were morally obligated to not pay. They would say if you do pay, you are saying I'm not, I don't belong to God, I belong to Rome. And so they were teaching the people, so the people opposed the poll tax. The, right. the Jewish people rejected paying the tax um, because they thought that that was a submission to a power or an entity or a governing rule other than God. So that was the Pharisees, their, their answer is, no, you do not pay. But the Herodians, what would they say? Oh, you better, you better you pay. Better, you, you better pay. Right. You better um, pay. I mean, the the question, if you sit back and think about the question and what they're trying to do to Jesus, it is, it's pretty smart and intelligent what they've got going on here. You know, again, they just don't expect Jesus's answer. Right. So it's interesting here. 
I want to make a couple comments about this before we move on to the next point, is that the Pharisees are proposing this question because their intent is to ultimately get Jesus removed and off the scene. In reality, they want him dead. We've Mm -hmm. seen that throughout the Gospels, right? They, uh, They want him dead. They want him gone. They want him killed. But the Pharisees and the Jews in general, they don't have the power to do that. Since Roman rule and Roman occupation, although the Jews did have certain freedoms, there were certain things they could not do. And one of the things they could not do uh, would be to execute the death penalty. They couldn't execute any human being. They did not have the power lawfully to kill anybody. Only Rome had that. Only Rome had that power. So their hope is that Jesus will say, well, not a chance. I'm not paying that tax because I'm not an idol worshiper, mm-hmm. right? Which then entails that Rome would then arrest, arrest Jesus and then hopefully execute him. Right. And then the Jews have pushed him off on Rome. We're not responsible. He did this to himself. The <laughs> right. Romans kill him. They did our dirty work. Right. That's what they're hoping here. That, and that, you're exactly right. And that's where, again, this is the point of Mark's gospel. We are going to the cross. And you see the religious leaders are pushing him to death. That's where Mark is leading us. And so this question, while it seems on the surface, if you don't understand or if you're just reading it, should we pay taxes or not? What the Pharisees are saying is, die. That's what they're saying. Yep. Like, I, I, we want to kill you. That's why they asked that question. That's a great observation. Um, and even if Jesus recognizes that and says, oh, well, I don't want that to happen, so I'll side with Rome and say, yes, you should pay that tax. Well, then the Pharisees know the people won't respect you. Yep. They won't follow you, and you're your uprising, your religious, uh, you know, weight will be gone. Yeah, well, what kind of Messiah is going right. to submit to Rome? Exactly. That's not the Messiah that we, you know, because they wanted someone to take over Rome. That's right. So Yeah, they want the new <laughs> David, the new Solomon, right, to come and lead them into this political power. They want, that's who the Messiah is. The Messiah does not yield to anyone. He's definitely not going to let Rome push him around and tell him what to do. Right. And so if he says, yes, pay that tax that's we belong to rome well uh, yeah good luck winning the campaign you know like that's that's political suicide right and so the people aren't going to follow so you're right this is a really cunning question (laughs) and on the surface jesus kind of looks like it's a it's a lose-lose like what's he gonna say right um yeah luke chapter 20 um says on uh this particular portion on this particular account luke 20 says that they wanted to catch him as to deliver him up to the rule and the authority of the governor. They, they wanted Rome to take over. They wanted right. Rome to take over. And to kind of summarize what we've been talking about, William Hendrickson, great commentator. Man, I, I use his material very frequently. Is he, is he on Luke? Yeah. Or on, okay, yeah. I think the one that I used here is on uh, Mark. Okay. Um, but he says... The question put to Jesus was therefore a very clever scheme. If he answered affirmatively, he would be alienating so many devout patriotic Jews. But a negative reply would be exposing himself to the charge of rebellion against the Roman government. End quote. Yeah. I mean, well, they've got him. They've exactly. got Jesus. How in the world can he answer this and, and get out of here alive? And that's why these two 
parties have united. That's why you have the Pharisees and the Herodians, because with both of them present, we now have witnesses from either side that whatever you, if he, if he answers and chooses the Jewish side, the Pharisees, that's what they want, then Rome is going to take them. Yeah. Backup plan, go ahead and sign with Rome, and your campaign will fizzle out. You'll prove you're not really the Messiah, yeah. and we won't, we won't have to worry about you because the people aren't going to follow. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of, and so what can Jesus do? And they ask it, they say, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And then they ask, should we pay them or should we not? Like, they get to the point, they ask the question, and they leave him seemingly no way out. Yeah, um, but I guess they underestimated Jesus. Yeah. Maybe next time they will estimate yeah, him. Maybe <laughs> next time they will estimate him. They certainly uh, did not know who he was. Yeah. Certainly did not know who he because, was. Yeah, if you look at 15, uh, back to verse 15, um, the last part of it, but he, Jesus, knowing their hypocrisy, that's beautiful. Mm. I mean, Jesus, he, he knows the thoughts and the intent of the heart. That's right. They come with these flattering words, buttering him up. Externally, they look like they're all in on Jesus. Right. Right? Externally, yeah. we love him. Yeah. You're great. Sounds You're from good. God. Mm-hmm. Love this. But he, he, he knows the heart. Yeah. Matthew's gospel, they, he calls them, he actually calls them hypocrites. Yeah. Mark says, <laughs> knowing their hypocrisy, Jesus looks right in their face and actually says, you hypocrites. Yeah. Why are you testing me? Why are you asking me this question? Because he knows, like you just said, he knows their heart. He knows what they are trying to do, which again, just as we're reading through this, it's actually a pretty clever little scheme. Yeah, but Jesus is. sees right through it because he is he's God. Yeah. He's the Messiah. He's the he knows. Yeah. Um, and he he calls them on their he says, "Hey, you hypocrites, knowing their hypocrisy, he said, "Why do you put me to the test?" Yep. So he he sees their heart. And then he says this, probably very surprising because they're expecting him to answer one way or the other, and he says, "Bring me a denarius." And let me look at it. And you, I mean, is that some kind of stall? Like, what's he doing? He's got. He's um, coming up with the plan well, on the fly. Well, one one commentator I read on this passage uh, j- just briefly said that many Jews would not carry this yep, because right. it was a an offense, right? Mm-hmm. So, like this, this may not have been a quick, like, hey, let me just open my wallet and flip open a denarius to him, like. He pro- they probably didn't have one sitting around. Well, that's why, yeah, that's why the culture and the context matters in these particular stories here. Because if we don't have that understanding going into it, we may be thinking that Jesus is somehow stalling or he's coming up with a response or he's figuring out a plan to get out of this thing. But in reality, what exactly what you just explained mm-hmm. was probably the primary issue here. Legitimately didn't have any coins, right? Yeah, right. Um, so, yeah, so Jesus asked for a coin. Um, we see that in verse 15. They brought one to him, and Jesus asks, Whose likeness and inscription is this? So this is a Roman coin that Jesus now has in his hand. It would probably be worth anywhere from about one to three days' wage. Um, so Jesus asks, you know, what, what, what is on this coin? Um, and most likely the coin that Jesus was holding would have an image of Tiberius Caesar uh, with an inscription on it that said, Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of divine Augustus. Mm. Um, Decades earlier, Augustus himself claimed to be God. 
Bold claim, by the way. Yeah, very bold. <laughs> Talk about blasphemy. Well, that's I what mean, I was going to say. Gracious. Think, ab- think about why this is not. Again, I'm not trying to defend the Pharisees, but I'm saying this is why these men were so irate about submitting to Rome. Yeah. They did not. This was sacrilegion to the core. Um, this is this is not just you and I were discussing beforehand. This is not just hey, President Trump is tweeting something um, that I don't like. Like this is hey, he is he is absolutely claiming to be God and is calling himself a son of God. I mean, this is this is blasphemy. This deserves death from above. Um, and you're telling me now that I'm supposed to pay you and submit to you? Like, I, of course I don't want to do that. Yeah. That's that's I serve the living God of heaven. I serve Jehovah. I serve Yahweh. That's not that's not something I'm interested in as a religious leader. So, yeah, that's a big deal that that's on that inscription. Huge deal. You flip the coin over and you'll find Augustus's wife and just Google image this. Like, literally, what the <laughs> coin is. Yeah, um, she's seated on a throne. Um, wearing a diadem and clothed as high priest. But I think this is interesting. There's an inscription on that side of the coin that says Pontiff Maxim, the highest priest. And one historian says that both the representations and the inscriptions were rooted in the imperial cult and constituted a claim to divine honors. Of course the Jews would hate this, man, like, you, yeah. like, like you've been talking about. Yeah. Um, I think it's also interesting to note that if you look back throughout history, whenever empires would permeate across the ancient world and they would take over a society, they would make and mint new coins with their inscription and their faces on it yeah. to show what you just talked yeah. about. We own you. We own this this culture. We own this people. You do not answer to anyone but us. And we own you through your finance. You depend on us to survive in this world. Yeah. That's essentially what they're saying by taking over the, the currency and putting their face on it. You submit to us and to our leadership. That's a big deal. Yeah. So he, he says, whose inscription and whose likeness is this? Yeah, they weren't dumb. No. Caesars. Yeah. Oh, right. Although, Caesars. Although, when he asked that question, can't you imagine like somebody being like, ah, I'm not sure. <laughs> I just feel like I'm walking into a trap. Um, <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? When somebody asks, like, you ask somebody a really hard question and they come back with a, a, a witty and unexpected reply, you're going, hang on a second. Yeah, yeah whose inscription? Whose likeness is this? And he, they say, oh, this is Caesars. And what does he say in verse 17? The unexpected, um, can't believe, this is the verse that many of us are familiar with. Yeah, this is what we were talking right? about at This the is the one that, that many people can quote. Um, I used to see this when I was first on Facebook, and you'd go to, like, political views. I would see this verse, like, tacked up there, like, like this, oh, this summarizes who I am politically. Right. You know, right. like, it just, yeah. Know. And it, 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 it is part of it, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to bash people. I probably had the same thoughts. Um, I probably did the same thing. I, I, you know, I definitely did. But like last week. <laughs> but what does he say? Yeah, he says, "Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's," and then he goes on and says, "And to God the things that are God's." So again, we've got we've got the politics covered by the Rodians. And we've got the religious elite, the Pharisees, and Jesus gives both of them an answer. Right. Without saying yes or no. Right. <laughs> As he always does. 
let's uh, let's let's break down that st- that reply kind of twofold. Let's first look at the the first half real quick. Render to Caesars the things that are Caesars. That word render, um, that word render actually means to give back, right? To give over. It's it's a um, like a what what else did you find about that yeah, word? To provide yeah. or just just provide or to give. Yeah. So it's 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 not just um, it's not like this uh, that that Caesar's taking it. It's like hey, I'm willingly giving this over to the one whom it is due. Yeah. Like that that's right. This is due to Caesar. He he it has been given to me, and I'm giving it back. That's actually what that word means. Um, so in other words, hey, Caesar owns this, and you must give part of it back as part of being a citizen in this uh, empire. Yeah. That, that's, yeah, that, the Herodians like that answer. That's, that's good. Yeah. yeah. Well, of course you need to render um, the things that are Caesar's. You give those things to Caesar. What, what, what is included in that answer? Man, it's just such a beautiful response from Jesus. I mean, he acknowledges who was on that coin. He acknowledges from a human perspective who owns that coin. And who's right. in charge and who's in power um, over Jerusalem at that point? He, he understands that Rome has authority. He understands that they have power. He understands that they have ownership, um, and he willingly, he willingly. This is yeah. the creator of the universe. Colossians one, Hebrews one. Right, the creator of the universe willingly submits himself to paying that tax. I mean, it, that's a that's it, a big deal. It, that, that is a that is a huge deal. And in saying that, and in answering that way, he is in some sense answering yes, you right. should pay this. Um, and w- w- we we don't have time to walk through this now, but Romans thirteen, First uh, Peter two, you've got a couple of other passages that speak uh, much more. Um, I don't know, much more directly to this issue of governmental authority, this common grace that God has given to humanity in the form of government. We submit to government. Um, and according to Romans 13, according to 1 Peter 2, those authorities have been placed in those positions, and we as believers do submit to them. Yeah. We do not rebel against them. Yeah. We, we submit um, as a form of civil obedience. Now, if there's a command like Daniel, right? Like bow down and worship this image. We will not do that. Um, If there's a command in uh, a country that says you cannot read your Bibles, we do not yield to that. But as long as it is um, not breaking the law of God, we submit. Right. I mean, that's that's there. Yeah, man, that's a good point, TJ, because that's what the word of God instructs Christians to do. (laughs) Right. And you mentioned Romans 13, and I know we don't have time to go through all seven verses that touch on that, but at least Romans 13, 1, every person is to be in subjection to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. So, I mean, he, he Paul continues to outline the Christian's responsibility to government um, all the way through verse 7 of Romans chapter 13. Um, Man, I'm just scanning through this right now to see what would be worth mentioning. All of it. Yeah, right? (laughs) There's so much that could be said there. Yeah, but 
the whole point in, in Romans 13 is for Christians to submit because God has placed government there for the protection of those who are law-abiding citizens and to punish those who constantly break laws. Right. Um, and then at the end of that passage, verse 7, render all what is due them. Tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Look, we submit to the government because of what they provide for us. Gener- generally speaking, not mm-hmm. not just Christians, but you've got these provisions uh, by the governmental authorities uh, that essentially go worldwide or over who they govern. Your house, fresh water, clean water, food, roads, cars, laws, protection, armed forces, yep. police, fire, all of those things are orchestrated ultimately by yes. God. Yes. But he's allowed government the ability to um, preside over yeah. people. Yeah, government is not evil. Government is a gift from God. Sure. Government provides stability. Government provides, as you mentioned, all of those amenities, all of those things that uh, that civilization requires. Government allows me to drive down the street and to stop at a stop sign and wait for the car to pass and then I turn out and I know that everyone, as long as we are abiding by those laws, we are safely able to travel. Government allows me to get water to my house and I pay a bill and that, that I know that, that water has been uh, cleaned and it has been it, it's, it's safe to drink and all of those things. Now, we do not... We do not um, place our hope and trust and faith right. in government, but God has given government to humanity to provide those things. It provides stability. It provides accountability. It provides those are that is the means by which God's grace has been manifested to civilization today. Yeah, and and notice if you go back and look in the passages that you mentioned, Romans thirteen, First Peter chapter two. Man, we'll just include the Mark twelve passage yep. also. Nowhere here does it talk about the morality or the ethics of the government determining how much you submit to them. Hmm. It, it, it just it, it doesn't. Right. Right. Um, and we'll, here at the end of the episode, we'll talk about uh, Emperor Nero and how awful he was and how Peter instructs Christians to submit to that. Right. Um, so well, mention that right now. What? Should we should we go to that right now? Unless you want to go somewhere else. I don't first. know. Yeah, no, this is good. Yeah, okay. T- so t- yeah, yeah. Talk to me about that because you, you we mentioned First Peter chapter two. That's another passage that talks about submitting to the government. Before we jump to this to the second part, when Peter when when uh, Jesus says this, um, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and Peter echoes this idea in First Peter chapter yeah. two. Yeah. Talk about that context a little bit. Yeah. What, First Peter two about? verse thirteen. 1 Peter 2.13, he says, Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors. Okay? And then verse 17, it says, Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Okay, so Peter lays out how Christians should respond to government. Now, the context here <laughs> is that we've got Emperor Nero who is reigning and ruling. Okay? He is infinitely worse, probably one of the worst and most pagan, horrific, grotesque rulers in the history of the existence of this world. Yeah, I mean this guy. This guy's rap sheet comes out of like a horror movie, you know? Yeah. Like, th- like this is w- run through some of the things. He okay, used to yeah. Do. So I put together his little yeah. rap sheet here, and let's see how this lines up to what we've got going here in our government. Yeah, right. 
Yeah, maybe we don't have it so bad. Let's find out. Yeah. Nero poisoned his 14-year-old stepbrother. He had his mother killed. His first wife he scalded to death in a bathtub. His second wife he kicked in the stomach while she was pregnant and killed her. Christians were used as human torches when he would have parties and events. He would basically hang them up naked and light Light them on on fire. fire to light his events. Yeah. Um, his name is often associated with murder, rape, sodomy, incest, and cruelty. Uh, I mean, history doesn't lie about him. Right. And I, I think to top it all off, um, he actually had a young boy, I think an eight-year-old boy, his name was Sporus. He had this eight-year-old boy castrated, and then he married the eight-year-old because the eight-year-old resembled and and physically looked like one of his previous wives that he had killed yeah so he 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 would dress up this kid like a female and basically flaunt him around as as his wife now jump back to first peter chapter 2 peter says submit and honor honor that guy yeah i mean what what is going on right and we live in a world today where we you know the hashtag not my president right. running around like let's 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 not kid ourselves like that's this is and and again I'm not I'm just talking about from the Christian worldview how should we as believers think that's about good. these Christian things, worldview right like yep. this is not I, I'm not talking about the right wing and left wing political pundits that are out there yelling about everything on TV I'm talking how should Christians think about this stuff What does Peter say He says you know that guy we just ran that rap sheet down. You respect him. Yep. You honor him. He's he because God has placed him in authority over your life. Now you don't you don't think he's a great guy. You 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 pray for him. Yeah, we don't approve like, of we, any uh, of that. Absolutely not. And God doesn't either. Absolutely not. But when Nero says pay your taxes, you know what you do? You pay your taxes yeah. because you submit to him because God has placed him in that authoritative position. And that's what Jesus is saying here. You know Caesar, the guy whose inscription says son of God and has has, has previously uh, in the line of Caesars have said, I am God. You know that, that pagan, heretical, blasphemous man, you pay taxes mm. to him because I have placed him in this authority and he ex- exists and and um, presides over this empire for this season. You know, his his reign's coming to an end and has come to an end. Mm. Christ will be forever. Mm. But he says, in this season, you submit and you render to, to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Nah. Dude, we're going to have to get two pulpits out here. <laughs> because, look, Christianity is counterculture. Right. Christianity is counterculture in every aspect of the way we live, right? I mean, we we have to live differently than the world in in all areas, in all categories, man. And and what an opportunity we have in the politically charged climate in which we live to be God-honoring in the way we approach that. That's so true, man. That's, that's, That's a great word. We have that opportunity um, in a way that, of course, every generation has had, but especially right now, it's very obvious and very we're very capable of doing that. Um, okay, we've yeah, we, okay. we've that's we've not done even the this. primary. I was going to say we've done this and we've gotten very excited and preaching uh, on this this massive subject, but if we stopped right there and high fived and chest bumped and said, "Catch us next week," 
we would be doing the same thing that we said not to do at the yeah. beginning of this episode. That is actually a secondary point to what Jesus is actually saying here. Yeah. The primary point and the primary takeaway, the primary application um, is to say what's following in that verse when Jesus says, and to God, the things that are God's. Now, to pay a tax to Caesar, that's, that's uh, I don't want to do it. I grip my teeth. But at the end of the day, I flick that denarius over yeah. once a year for my census tax, that poll tax, and I never see it again. All right, I'll deal with that again, you know, come next January. But to render to God the things that are God's, what does that mean? I mean, this is like, I think it has to be one of the most overlooked statements in Scripture. I would agree. It, it, it honestly has to be. I mean, this this passage and this particular statement has just rocked me the last mm, week. I can imagine. Well, we talked about on that coin was the imprint of Caesar minted on there, right? Mm-hmm. Complete ownership of that coin, his image. He owns it. Well, what Jesus, of course, does here is absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Render to things um, that that are that are God's. Whatever is God's, you render that back to God. You give back to God. What's he talking about here? Well, every single individual that has ever lived was created in the image of God. I mean, Jesus ups the ante significantly yeah. here. Render to Caesar, absolutely, right. absolutely. But now, render your life to God. That's right. Well, Render your life. You know what made me think of as you were talking about that? When they ask him that question, that's verse, uh, verse 14, they ask the question. Verse 15, it says, Knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Now, he could have said in his answer right there. He could have said, render to Caesar things that are Caesar's, render to God things that are God's. Like that's that, that answer is still the same. But what he does, he provides an object lesson and he points them to that image on the coin. He says, look at this. Whose image and inscription is this? Well, this is Caesar's. Okay, so you give to him. But what's the implication? What you just mentioned. Whose image do we bear? We just God's did an image. episode on That's that. That's right. Yeah, we just did the Image of God episode, and we, you know, we had to tear down the pulpit because we were so excited about it. Um, but that's exactly what he's doing here. He he's drawing a parallel to say, oh, the image that's on the coin, that that implies that the coin is owned by the one whose image is upon it. Well, in the same way, we are made in the image of God. So what does that mean? That means that we owe everything to Him, everything to God. Yeah, um, not for salvation purposes. No, let's make no, that clear. That's good, right? What do you go ahead and unpack that? Well, yeah, when, when we're talking about owing or giving back everything about us to God, that's not to earn favor okay. with God. Yeah, that's not that, in order to be saved, right? In order that has nothing to do with salvation, right? We're not talking about working our way, um, but it, it's an outflow of salvation, right? Because a, we are saved. Yeah, we. Why yeah. would I mean we? Josh, Josh actually mentioned this in the homosexuality episode. He says that every, every Christian is, has been bought with a price. And so our bodies, all of our bodies are made in the image of God. We are all gods in the sense that our bodies come from him. But the Christian has been made, uh, his body belongs to Christ twice over mm. because we've been purchased by the blood of Christ. And so 
we owe our bodies to him even more so. And in the same way, like as those who have been bought with that price, everything about us, we owe all of our being, our, our worship, all of those things are to be rendered to God. Yeah, speaking of Josh, him and, him and I were talking about this particular passage last week after church, and he was discussing, like in terms of application, like a categorical application of what it means to render everything to God. Um, have you rendered to God your job? Mm. Have you rendered God your marriage, your friendships? Have you rendered to God the way that you behave when you're driving in your car in rush hour traffic? I mean, there's all of these categories in which we can assess our own life to see if we've actually rendered that area of our life to God. Yeah, right. So Th- this isn't talking about, okay, look, I'm showing up to church on Sunday. Look, I've rendered my Sundays to God. Right. Okay. I mean, that's a component. That's part of it, obviously. But we're talking about every single category, aspect, component in which the way that we live, have we rendered it to God? You're, you're a new dad. I, I will be soon. Have we rendered fatherhood right. to God? Right. And you know what's what's amazing about this, and we'll, we'll wrap up the end of the verse here in just a, a I don't even want to wrap. We uh, have to I, keep I going. know. <laughs> this is so good. But, but when we think about even our, our money financially, when we do pay that poll tax, when we do pay our taxes, we are rendering to God those things because those things come from God's authority. They come from underneath of God's, uh, God has established those things. So when I pay my taxes and I pay my, my tithes, so to speak, or I give to my church, um, we'll do a separate episode on tithing (laughs) and giving, right? Um, but if I'm giving to my church and I'm paying my taxes, in the same way, all of those things are submitted to God because I am following God's mm. law. I mean, that's what Romans 13 is. That's what Mark 12 is. That's what 1 Peter 2 is. That's my submission to God's authority in the form of the government that he has placed over me. Yeah. So I'm still rendering to God even though I write the check to the IRS, you know, or it's withdrawn from my check. But, you you know, that's where that comes from. Um Man, there's so much there's so and, much depth in that. <laughs> that is a separate episode episodes series. I mean just yeah. unpacking rendering to God, yeah, giving back to God. Um well, finish out the verse because yeah. this story doesn't just end with that statement. Mark has one more little <laughs> sentence. Let's finish it out and then we'll, yeah, we'll ver- wrap this up. Verse 17 uh Mark writes commenting on on the crowd specifically Pharisees Herodians they they were amazed <laughs> yeah they were amazed they they were astonished they were utterly amazed that the plan that they orchestrated <laughs> and they thought that they were going to get one or two answers Jesus just gives them a third answer that they never saw coming yeah they they, they never they never saw it i think it's worth mentioning here that they were awestruck. Yeah. But just because they were amazed, just because they were shocked, just because they were astonished, you'll notice and go look in the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Luke on this, none of them repented. Right. They had an encounter with Jesus where they were literally speechless and shook to the core and no repentance in sight. Well, you already mentioned where we are in in the Passover week. Yeah. I mean, we're just days away, yeah. hours away, really, from Jesus going yep. to the cross. That's how close we are. 
and there is not a hint of repentance, of introspection. All this is is a wrinkle in the plan. Now we have to find something else. And what? Yeah. <laughs> and that's where they're going. No, that's a good segue because not much later, Luke chapter 23, verse 2 says, and they began to accuse Jesus saying, so here's what the leaders are saying. Here's what the crowds are affirming. This is after the Mark 12 passage. Uh-huh. They all say, we found this man misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar. <laughs> so, I mean, the hypocritical behavior now just takes another turn where they're just making up lies. It went from flattery, right? Let's right. butter this guy up to now right. we're just flat out lying. Yeah. Yeah, Jesus literally just said, "Look, render to Caesar." Like, yeah, right, yeah, go for it, pay it, exactly. And oh, then they man. and then they they resort to whatever it takes to get that man killed. Yeah, and I think that's the point we want to say here that they are they marveled, they're amazed, they're shocked, they're astounded. But while that should lead to just this this adoration mm-hmm. and a a sense of Oh, oh well well there's something different about this man like this this answer this answer has has caused me to rethink some things and but instead their hearts mm. were bent on wickedness now part of that we would say from Acts chapter 2 Acts chapter 4 this is God's plan Jesus right. is going to the cross right, right? Um, but for those individuals those individuals who who sat there and heard that response um, their hearts were so bent towards towards evil and towards wickedness that they resisted what was right in front of them. And so for those listening who maybe maybe you've grown up and you've been around this for forever and you're familiar with Jesus and you you know the the Bible in and out but you and you maybe marvel at him but you have not repented. I mean, we cannot plead with you enough. Repent, believe, uh, place your faith and trust in him because um, these men, they knew the answers. They they were around. They knew what they were doing. And um, they put him on a cross. Yep. So that's, yeah, that's uh, good. That's weighty stuff. Um, okay. Initiative time. Yeah. yeah. What, what would you? What's your, what's your takeaway? Yeah, my takeaway has to be rendering to God, giving back to God. Uh, I think that that is the main point of this passage, and that, that, that's how I want to end. I I want to assess my own life and my own heart to see if every aspect of it is being rendered to God. I'll never do that perfectly, but I don't want anything to slip by, right? The way that I interact with my neighbors, the way that I interact with people in public, the way that I get up in the morning and, I mean, just little things, preparing breakfast or doing things around that. I mean, anything and everything, I want to do it in a way where I'm giving back to God because of what he's done through Christ for me. That's right. Man, that's so good. I mean, I think I'm going to go a different route on my initiative because that was so good. Um, and doesn't nothing needs to be added to it. But I would just say on a more broad scale, just as we do biblical exposi- exposition and exegesis, just that we would come to the text and allow the text to guide our conversation, guide our thought. Because I'm with you, man. Like I've read that verse so many times, and I've used that verse to uh, determine the way that I would explain my submission to, to government, which is there. But there's what you just explained. That's the heart. Mm. That's what this this passage is about. This passage is about um, rendering to God the things that are God's because we are made in His image. And this passage is about um, ultimately 
um, the the hard heartedness and rejection of the gospel from these from these uh, Pharisees and Herodians. And so often, when I'm reading the scriptures, I've got that verse highlighted because render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Right. And I just gloss over so much depth and so much that I miss and we've spent an hour talking about five verses and it felt like we had to be cut short like we yeah. there's so much more that could Part be said two next week. <laughs> so much more that we could say to, to, to unpack this and I'm just man I'm just constantly reminded of the depths uh, of God's word and just the, the grace that we have to, to just to dwell there and um, man I'm just encouraged every time we do this no, looking I, forward to the next I, one I, yeah man I've got to I've got to crank down the AC. Yeah, I'm, we, it's heating up. Just get, yeah, just get it's some, heating up, go, man. Man, can't can't God, can't good. get enough. Uh, if you're not doing so already, make sure you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes to our YouTube channel. Make sure you like us on Facebook at Reformed Informants and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at r underscore informants. You can find links to all of our social media platforms and previous episodes all at our website at www.themagicianmen.com slash reformed informants. Yeah, if you have any questions or suggestions for topics of discussion, feel free to email us at reformedinformants at gmail.com.